What does it take to become an elite 40k player? How do the top competitors overcome bad dice? The Competitive 40k Network presents Art of War Unbroken. Insight into the game plans of the top players on the planet with your hosts, Blake Law and the Art of War Coaches. Welcome back to the Art of War Unbroken. This is part two of the episode, so you haven't listened to part one yet. Go check it out. If you remember, we have Mike Taylor here, Mr. King Khan, Defender of Space Marines' last hopes and dreams. And I'm joined also by my co-host today, Brad Chester, someone you should all be very familiar with, longtime elite player. We all know him. All right, let's jump into it. Recall that in part one, Mike's White Scars took one final ride into the sunset into a gun line of Admech piloted by Sean Reynolds. Brad? Papa Roach told us that scars remind us that the past is real. Do you think these scars will remember the past and learn from this admin encounter? I feel confident. I feel that another man of veteran years will be able to learn from his mistakes. You can always teach an old dog new tricks. All right, let's jump right into it, Brad. What questions do you have for Mike? I have a couple of things about this. First off, we had in part one, you had talked about the fact that you realized right away that you had just deployed incorrectly. So... The question is, I mean, obviously, you know, if you could do it again and you did it for the rest of the tournament, congratulations, because you pounded everybody out after that. So obviously you learned from that mistake immediately. But the thing I was going to go in is that game itself. Now, strategy-wise, we knew that you split a little bit too much fire. We talked about that. But as far as just going um, all in and just kind of moving up, do you think you could have done better in encountering the deployment, the timidity of the, the deployment? by being a little more aggressive and going all in to pop those rides and getting up on top of those uh, Electro Priests and basically do- trying to dominate the board a little bit and waiting for those the birds uh, at a later time? Yeah, no, I, I, I think I could have on turn one after he brought up his his boats. Um, I think I, I could have followed the Vanguard vets with the blade. Well, actually, the blade guard were dead. Uh, maybe that's why I wasn't so aggressive. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I probably could have uh, moved up the board a little bit. But the problem there is once you do that, you're out in the open. And his disintegrators just need to, to back out from behind line of sight. And then they're bringing all of their weapons to bear to include the LAS cannons. So um, if the blade guard would have been there, you know, even if it were just, you know, a one or two man, I think I might have been able to do that. But because they weren't there, I really was kind of on my heels there trying to figure out how do I counter his, uh, you know, the, the Electro Priest. And he also had, I didn't mention this, he had his other boat with his um, uh, Corpuscari Electro Priest um, in right alongside it. So no matter what, I had two boats to deal with. But the boat I was more concerned about was the Fulgurites, who were deadly in close combat, and get that three up uh, feeling or three up involved. Yeah, I was just wondering about. Obviously, I couldn't see the board at that point in time. Is there any way that you could have attacked and just baited so that you could have ended behind anything, or was that just not really an option at that point in time? Um, I don't think because I was. I'm, I'm recalling um, the uh, the two boats were on either side of a an obscuring piece of terrain that was really on the long board edge center. Um, and so they were, again, we were going short board edge to short board edge. So they were moving up, I would say, would be my right there, his left flank coming up. Um, and so there really wasn't anything to hide behind, even if I were to get up in him. So I chose instead to kind of screen out uh, with the the two five-man Vanguard vets, uh, a five-man in front of the Fulgurite boat, and the other one 
uh, in front of the Corpuscari boat, uh, just so that they weren't able to move through and get shots on, you know, the core of my army, which is, you know, the attack bikes, um, and the, and the suppressors. Um, but what I, what I do think I could have done was I could have thrown the attack bikes out there, um, and be more aggressive with that in that I, I, when I shot at the boat, I stayed outside of magic range. So I was not within 12 inches of it. I think if I'd have done that, it'd have been almost a guaranteed kill. Even two getting through, having that extra plus four damage on top of whatever I roll is probably odds are that boat's going to blow up. Um, so to your point, yeah, I think I could have been a little more aggressive there with the attack bikes and pushing them up closer because then I think I would have guaranteed a kill and then I think it would have been a different game state. I think you almost mitigate your odds there, though, because you talk about, you know, um, what happens if you do roll ones and twos or twos in your case. Um you think about the attack bikes, the closer you get them over, if you get them in melter range, you know, you're running that risk of what if these bikes just freaking whiff and then, yeah. and then I lose, I lose this plus the core of my army. So I think you can make an argument either way. I think you, I almost think you played it right there. I'm just, I'm back and forth on it just because of the fact that I know that he, you know, when you're starting in that, you, I made a few mistakes at the beginning with the deployment stuff. Sometimes, I mean, sometimes I take the risk, you know what I mean? Uh, there yeah. was, there's basically two, Kind of, all they're both kind of all in place. He could have one basically said, "I'm just bailing on engage for a turn," and just wiped out those flyers in his backfield. So he's you know basically taking a turn off, but also telling him that he's you know those flyers are no more. <clears throat> and then the other option is to, for for me, I'm talking you know aggressive plays trying to overcompensate mm-hmm. at this point in time. The other one is to <clears throat> aggressively take out those two boats and get that assault on those two do those. Uh, two units of priests, uh, weather a little bit of fire, and then just, you know, push back up, trying to, you know, flip the board state at that point in time. Uh, and these are all talks about because, you know, we had, you basically had a little bit of deployment snafu, but then you also had a little bit of bad luck, you know what I mean? Which typically, you know, goes hand in hand. And we were saying it before, sometimes you make that error and the, the gods of dice go, well, we're punishing you immediately, which they did. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it's one of those, you know, sometimes you got to, you know, double down basically to get yourself out of that hole. Cause I was in, in my mind, if you kill those rides, kill those priests, you're not in the, you're not in the best state, but you're not in the, the bad state where you're basically getting, you know, death by a thousand cuts where you're slowly losing that game. You, you could see it, you know, point wise getting away from yeah. that. Now, Brad, I, th- I think you're right. I, th- I think uh, the more and more th- um, I'm kind of reflecting on it, I think I probably should have been just all in on the bikes, put them out there. The reason why I also wanted to play them more conservatively is because I knew I'd need them later in the game. Um, and if I keep them behind line of sight uh, so that his disintegrators can't get shots on me, um, they're they're available later on in the game. It's kind of hard to kill three attack bikes typically with field no pain and all that stuff. Uh, rolling, especially if I advance them and then spend a CP to make a minus one to hit. Um, but I think you're right. I think because I had lost the blade guard at the beginning, I needed to kind of recapture the initiative. Uh, and I think throwing the uh, throwing the bikes out there and bringing them in close, advancing them the full 20 inches and still shooting is probably uh, the better play because that gets me into a position of advantage uh, and, and forces my opponent to react to me instead of Pretty much, I, I kind of took a punch and allowed him to keep kind of swinging. You know what I mean? Impressing me, and I, I didn't push back. Yeah, he, he's just working the jab against you. That's the yep. thing is, is that's he was exactly able to, right. Yeah, he's just you know <laughs> keeping you at a distance, but he's also never pressured. And I hate to put my opponents feel like that because I feel like if if I'm trying to dictate, impose my will. There you go. I'll go for big words now. <laughs> but if I'm trying to basically make my opponent 
worry, nervous, and everything else. And especially like AgMag. AgMag players, they get to calmly, you know, shoot you from a distance. Man, that that's just a terrible feeling. Uh, besides them just going first always feels bad. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes. <laughs> my my other big question on this is, is going forward, let's talk about the actual deployment that you should have, the, the game plan that you mm-hmm. should have used and the game plan that you typically use. And you're playing a lot of games with Hurdle, who's a great AdMech player. Clearly, he's had good results the entire year with AdMech. Um, and you've got a decent amount of games with him with a decent amount of wins. Um, what was your what were your, your thoughts that you shouldn't should have could have done, you know what I mean, for the future. And clearly you did it and you have done it. So let's talk about that for everybody listening. What the what the things that you could have done with your scars. Like a perfect yes. deployment. Yeah. A perfect deployment. Yeah. I, really the way I visualize a perfect deployment is, you know, pretty much the bulk of my army center behind a line of sight blocker. Uh, on the right or left, depending on the deployment, I've got the whirlwind sitting over there holding an objective sitting behind line of sight and just being a pain for the entire game. Um, and then sometimes I'll throw a Vanguard vet over there just to give me some movement up the side of the board. Uh, only one because I don't want to throw anymore. I want to keep everything pretty much center. And then on the left side, I'll typically have at least one intercessor squad, um, maybe a Vanguard vet, but I go minimal on the other side. Uh, and usually my game plan is um, I am going, I'm going to move up the board opposite of the side of the whirlwind. Um, and so I'm kind of pushing up that way. And then I I move the the second intercessor squad. I put him in the center so I can immediately uh, advance him out or move him up uh, so they can get oath a moment for me. Uh, so if you're going to shoot at him, you know, you got you to put some resources against him. And it's only a 100-point unit I'm losing instead of, you know, 100 and something for a, for a Vanguard vet, which is much more useful for its points. Um, and then, uh, yeah, and then I, I, you know, typically what I'll do at that point is I'll have the, uh, also in my, my deployment, um, I may put the Intercessor squad up in front of my bulk of my army in the center so that they're out there screening a bit, um, typically still within a piece of terrain or behind something, uh, but enough so that my opponent can't get into me uh, as quickly. And it also gives me an opportunity to potentially grab uh, Oath the Moment or a center objective if one of those is in play. Yeah, I like that a lot on that uh, moving forward. List-wise, tell me about some of the things. There's the the best times for me looking at my list and looking for you know future things is right after, you know, a two-day tournament when you get to sit around on the drive home or the the dinner after and talk about changes you might want to make, things that you might want to tinker with. What were your thoughts coming out of the tournament and things that might not have performed the best for you? Or maybe you just want to optimize it even a little bit more. Yeah, so for optimizing, the funny thing was I didn't play a single Drakari opponent the entire tournament, um, which is what I had optimized my list as best as I could with white scars to do so. Um, and because I didn't play against Drakari, I, I kind of inclined not to touch it. Uh, I mean, other than the, you know, the snafu against the Admech player round one, you know, I was able to win the other games. Um, and a lot of them were close, but the tools that I have were all fit like the suppressors. I love those things. Um, you wouldn't think a hundred point unit is that good, but uh, and again, two wound Primaris Marines, but they got a 12-inch movement. You know, the auto cannons, nine shots, flat two damage is pretty impressive to plink away, you know, against not Dreadnoughts, but everything else. Um, and then, uh, you know, the the Vanguard Vets, I mean, I, I don't really see much changing uh, in the list, to be honest with you. Um, and a lot of that's just because I didn't play the the armies I thought I would. And so I really don't know in a tournament play 
you know, if I really need to make any changes until I, you know, play Drakari again or an Eldari equivalent, whatever you want to call it, to to see if I do need to make any adjustments. I do. Did that Inquisitor, I, did that Inquisitor do work for you this event? Was he was he kind of <laughs> what you expect him from? Expect that, out of a seventy foot model? That guy was amazing. Um, I mean, the fact that he's just a mortal wound spam factory you know he would he would typically with smite now i like to roll ones on my smite too so but uh, i mean he was still taking plinking off wounds chipping away you know throughout the entire game um you know he's got two denies uh and then uh i used if i remember right in my round four game i used the terrify power to shut down the what was it oh it was the noise marines i think overwatch remember right i think i got that power off i might be mixing it up with suppression but Terry, anyway. i'm not gonna lie i've literally thought about uh bringing this inquisitor myself just for that power it, it's i feel it's that valuable in certain matchups i mean you know if you've got something where you can you can overwatch on fives you want to use this um so that's usually my primary i try and use him for that but but my backup uh the suppressors do the same thing against infantry all you got to do is hit them. You don't even have to wound them. Uh, there's a there's a little special rule they have. It's called suppression fire or something like that. I think something like that. Anyway, um, and so yeah, all they got to do is hit the target, and then you can't fire Overwatch if you're infantry. Um, I actually, I really actually tell you the truth. It's funny that you say that because I'm actually getting ready for a tournament this weekend, and uh, as usual, I I haven't brought any of my models ready to go, so I'm going to bring Marines instead of my Dark Eldar. And I was staring at suppressors before we went on the air, and I actually think that they're a hot choice that right now, Mike. I, I think they have a great strength, uh, especially against Dark Eldar. You're looking at Strength 7, which, you know, wounds the vehicles on threes, mm-hmm. you know, everybody else on twos. But they've got the two damage profile, you know, on that with the three shots. And they can get places. They can get those uh, with their 12-inch move. They can get those angles on those Raiders' big butts sticking out. So I, I did think it was a really nice tech choice that you put in. Uh, I thought it worked. It was really worthwhile. Yeah, and um, no, thanks. And 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 again, Kellen, I mentioned his name earlier in the in the first session. Kellen was the guy who recommended I throw them in there and try them out. Uh, and then I was feverishly painting them up, you know, over a period of a week to get them to kind of the standard that I like. But um, no, the suppressors I think are money. Um, you wouldn't think it for hundred points. The other thing is you could split that fire up. So if you want to, you know what I mean? Um, I mean, just because you've got nine shots there, you know, um, the other thing is, uh, you know, it's a heavy weapon. So it's a minus one when you move. Um, usually Dark Eldar are going to throw out, uh, what is it called? Um, you know, they always got the strap for the minus one. Lightning fast Lightning fast, thank you. I, I, it's, yeah. Uh, and then if you're playing with like a forest in the middle, you're going to take a minus one anyway. So you're not really losing anything by moving them. Uh, and then still shooting as long as you get like a reroll with maybe a chapter master or a captain or something. Um, so that, that's a nice little, uh, little piece that you can, you can add in. Um, and then, I mean, you can always, and like I said, in the, in the first session, there's a strat, um, that I can use for the white scars, which changes the weapon profile from heavy to assault. So I could advance them and white scars don't have a penalty for shooting. Oh, yeah, that's nice. So if I throw, if my, you know, litany of focus goes off, you know they're advancing and they're they're hitting on twos, rerolling ones because I keep them within six inches of con. I mean that's you know you're probably going to take down a raider. I mean they may lightning fast and so okay you're hitting on threes, but you're forcing them to spend CP. I mean you're doing the same thing as you advance, but there's ways to kind of get your opponent to expend resources with these guys. You would, it's just a facet of play I haven't had in my army before. 
And it's kind of nice sitting them back in a corner. All they're doing is just gunning down units at long range, which is completely opposite of what I played with white scars for many years. So I love it. Did you ever use the Inquisitor to do secondaries? Was that ever a thought? No. Um, so, so for for example, the Inquisitor can't get you oath a moment. You know that. So, um, so, but I, I didn't look at like you're talking mental interrogation or anything. Yeah, like yeah. That. No, I, I just with only one Inquisitor, all it takes is somebody to 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 kill that guy, and then I've just zeroed out an entire secondary. Um, right. You know, so I, I kind of no, I, I never did. I always use him as more of a utility player. He's there. The flamer actually did some really good work against like um, you know demons when I played the Slanash player in round four or guard. I played a, an eleven tank list in round two, heavy metal, and uh, a whole bunch of guardsmen scions, and that inquisitor was doing work, just advancing, smiting, and flaming stuff. So. What did you do in the game that you lost? Like, where were your characters in that? Because we kind of talked about, you know, the play in the middle where you uh, where you hit the boat and then you put the vanguards into uh, the boat to try to, and then you screened them out. Where were the characters kind of playing into the whole matchup that you, uh, against Admech? Yeah, so they were actually hiding behind that uh, line of sight blocking terrain that I mentioned in the beginning that I was deploying behind. I kind of kept them there because I knew if I peeked them out too quickly, they were just going to get picked off. Um but by turn two, I was forced to kind of commit like the uh, company veteran out to the middle um, to try and get me oath a moment, which is never a good thing, um, you know, and to kind of force. Uh, actually, it was an oath a moment. I put him in the middle to kind of get him towards uh, my opponent's uh, kind of midfield. Um, and I just committed that he's going to go out there, charge something and probably die. But I needed to take pressure off my, my center. Um, the other characters pretty much stayed, you know, hunkered down behind. Um, because they're so valuable. I usually don't bring them to bear until turn three or turn four. Um, the chaplain in particular is probably the most important character of my army uh, because he's got the nine inch aura, nine inch OPSEC bubble. Um, you know, any of the auras are nine inch, like, you know, um, uh, what is it? The, the five up feel no pain against mortals or the reroll in close combat. So um, I usually keep most of those characters in the back. And then, of course, the apothecary's there kind of picking people up and, you know, um, healing folks so that that's kind of how i played the characters um but i was forced to kind of piecemeal them out by turn three if i remember right i had con out there in the middle of the board which i usually don't do um but i but i needed to kind of start feeding stuff into the middle uh to kind of slow my opponent down and to get me some points and it just eventually died you know and oh i know what it was um the other thing that was kind of funny was sean's inquisitor smited out he got a super smite off against my company champion and i picked him up so Oh no, it was Khan. He rolled a six on damage and picked up Khan. So, ouch. ouch. Yeah. yeah. I was like, wow. holy crap, you can't make that up. So he rolled an eleven on a smite and then he rolled a six. And I'm like, Khan's <laughs> primaris. He's tough. He's that tough. Sorry, brother. Nah. Time to go home. So yeah. Tell me about the the whirlwind in the future. Did you feel that that performed enough? Um it is for it is basically a premium, unfortunately, because we the they did nerf down the indirect for the marines quite a bit from their their cost to cost of power you know points per wound and points per uh attack damage uh do you feel that that's going to stay in there is the the fight last strat worth it for you oh yeah no the, the fight last strat is premium um the ability to put on anything um you know the uh demons or whatever um you know demonettes make them fight uh, you know, fight last or, you know, at least take away their fight first ability is key. So now I'm going to keep it there. The other thing is in my round four opponent, 
Uh, he had demonettes, 20, 20 strong demonettes. And so this thing was firing 12 shots into, into and just picking up handfuls of demonettes every time. So now that, that whirlwind is, is, I, I think it's 125 points. Um, yeah, it's, it's worth a buck and a quarter. It, it's worth a buck and a quarter. Um, just for the 2d6 shot. And then the fact I got that one CP strat suppression bar. It is nice that you, I mean, you can just hide it behind, you know, take an objective and bomb. I was just wondering how you felt about it. How it performed for you, basically. Yeah, no, it, it did well. Um, you know, all the games, um, you know, I'm trying to think round, round two was, uh, picking up uh, guard, uh, round three was another admec opponent. Cause I didn't have enough with round one, uh, a guy named JD, great player, um, ended up, uh, picking up, um, um, Vanguard, Vanguards, his Vanguard. So it was really good killing those guys out, uh, for the demonettes and then five cultists really good at picking up cultists. So. It's good to pick up those units that are hiding. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah. I, I, I've looked at it before. I mean, I, I, I just wondered how it was performing because there's a lot of things in this meta. I mean, Kabbalah warriors, cultists, just yeah. Any, I mean, literally the uh, vanguards from the Admech. You know what I mean? A lot of yep. guys that are T3 with a bad save uh, are fantastic for it. Uh, pick up. I just wondered how it was performing for you. Yeah, no, it did great. Uh, I'm going to keep it. I want to dive into your secondaries for a second because we talked about the secondaries you took. Would you take anything different if you were to say you saw the game play out? Would you have gone back in time and said, these are the three secondaries I'm taking this matchup? No, I don't think so. Um, these are the secondaries I take against Mark every time. <laughs> and it works. So um, Now, I will tell you this, though. The deployment zone, <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. I was I was hoping that you were gonna you were when you first said what secondaries you're gonna take. I was just hoping you didn't take those because I was like I would have definitely taken those. <laughs> no, these are the ones I'm I'm gonna. Now I'll tell you what the difference though was the deployment was the old hammer and anvil, short to short. You know what I mean? So you're going to the entire length of the board. I think all the other missions that we played were were not that. You know what I mean? They were either old Dawn of War or Corners or whatever. So it wasn't like I was having to go across, you know, 60 plus inch board to get my opponent. You know, I only had about, you know, 20 or 30 inches across the board to get to him. So, um, I, you know, I mean, I, I maybe I could have taken Scramblers, but it, Scramblers is, is an all or nothing. I just like Engage. And you can usually play catch up on Engage and still get about 10 points. So, no, I would keep the same secondaries. Um, you know, I just have to deployment, I think, and just... You know, making some decisions in the beginning on priority targets is, is probably what made what changed the game for me. How do you uh, just for newer players out there? Um, how do are you typically playing your engage versus admic? I know it can be tricky with the white scars because you don't want to put like a valuable asset out in the corner, you know, early in the game just, just to have it blasted off the board. Yeah, so usually that's kind of what I have the incursors for. I usually throw them up, you know, maybe center board a little bit further back. Um, you know, and, and usually, uh, like if I'm going first, I'm advancing a Vanguard vet squad out in the middle, hiding behind terrain, putting the minus one to hit strat on them. I think it's called ride, ride swift, ride fast or something. It's a white scar strat. And I just put them out on the board just to be a, a threat to them. So I'm usually going to get two points engaged on turn one. Um, and so that, that's kind of how I approach it. And then, you know, as the game progresses, I'm usually in the center of the board anyway. It's easy to put a unit, at least one, in, in each, of the, each of the corners. Right, you're slipping them over, keeping them in cover, just yep. protecting them after that point, trying to get three after that. That I makes do, sense. I, I do love the fact that you call the, the uh, all stratagems the way I do with what they're, they actually do, not their name. 
I don't even know what the heck it is. I, I do that. I literally, I do that consistently. I'm like, I'm going to put a plus one of wound on this guy. I'm going to put minus one. Damn it. Whatever, whatever the strat actually does, I consistently all the time state what it is, <laughs> not the name of the strat. The one that makes him go really fast and uh, minus one a hit. Yeah, that's it. So exactly, I'm with you. I'm I do with it you. all the time. They are start all start sound the same too. It's kind of like incursors, intercessors, inceptors, all that. You know, it all this kind of melds together after all in your brain. Anyway, I'm not gonna lie. I prefer when someone actually just tells me the strat because, especially with all the new books come out, I'm consistently reading every single codex that comes right. out. When right. someone's like the funky monkey tootsie roll of the emperor, and I'm like. Is that the plus one to wound one? They're like, yeah. I'm like, just just say that. Plus one to wound. <laughs> there we go. Thanks. Keep it simple, stupid. Yeah, I'm with you. <laughs> Speaking of strats, are there any strats you looked back on? I know you're you're a pretty vet player, so you probably don't have a lot of moments like this. But were there any times where you're like, man, that would have been a cool play there? Or like any combos with the newer stuff you brought that you really didn't think of going in? Uh, kind of think. Um, Oh, yeah, actually. Uh, so I used this strat in round four to not win the game, but pretty close to. It's called Wind Swift, Brad, just, just to confuse things. It's the one that you can double move with a White Scars unit for two CP. That's what it does. Um, I, I was thinking, you know, it, turn one, I could do that with certain units, and I never do because I always want to conserve my CP in the beginning of the game. But if I really want to get in somebody's face and make them have to react to me, I could always double move a Vanguard that squad. Or double move the blade guard uh, if that's something I, I, didn't, I never thought you're, about. You're, you're stealing my thunder, Mike. I have this as my notes. What did you think about doing the double move versus the admech with with the? So I didn't think about it until after the fact. Gotcha. It was. I always so the way I use that is I I used it in round four against my opponent to double move my uh, my chaplain on bike. You know, he went what is it, thirty four inches, twenty with the advance, and then fourteen, so thirty four. Um, people say some, some people say you can advance with the second move as well. I was just played the way it's worded, which is just one advance, but 34 inch move across the board to grab an objective is amazing, um, for two CP. So now that, that was something I, I was thinking about after the fact, if I had to double move the, the blade guard, but again, you know, turn one, the blade guard weren't there. So that, that kind of put a, put a, you know, crimp in my plan, but maybe double moving the Vanguard. That's getting in his face, forcing him to react, turn his units around to come after me. Maybe that might have been an option. I, I didn't really yeah, think that, that. that was one of the things I was going to I was gonna come in. You, you, you see, you're stealing my thunder. I got this written down. That's only the one old, of the other old moves. Man's, old men thinking alike, you know? Yeah, exactly. Wise that, old. Yeah, well, I was thinking about that just because of the fact that you could... Basically, if you committed to killing the one ride and killing the stuff inside and then double moving the other vanguards to basically a place of safety you know, behind something, but very close to them. That means that the next turn, you can start coming out and maybe touching disintegrators, making him change his movements, you know, and, and basically at least getting there to make him have to make choices as opposed to just, you know, playing from a, a point of safety and, and, and pleasure, ease. Yeah, no, I agree. I think double moving the Vanguard vets might have been a good play just to pressure my opponent. And I would have done that in combination with, you know, pushing out my multi-melt attack bikes to get in his face um, and, and really pressure him at that point. So he's got to deal with the Vanguard vets or, you know, running, running up, the, up the board towards him on a flank, hide behind a building. You know, he's got to go get him. Um, he's got to commit resources there. Meanwhile, he's got these three multi-melt attack bikes. And hopefully if the job's done well, the, the boat's dead, the Fulgurite Electro Priests are getting sued up by the Vanguard vets sitting in their face. 
And now he's like, oh crap, what do I do? You know what I mean? So I think if I'd have been able to play, even without the blade guard, I think that might've been a better way to approach it and kind of take the offensive and force me react to me at that point. And I think it would have been a different game. See, I, I like that a lot. That's the whole point of learning. Speaking of moving forward, what do you, how did you, uh, how do you feel about the characters moving forward for the rest of the season? Or at you least know, until I, we get more books, but you know, how do you feel moving forward? Yeah, I, I like the character combo. It's funny. It's like super friends again, uh, back a couple of editions ago. Uh, but not as broken. <laughs> so, you know, but uh, I, I like having the characters. Uh, I mean, the buffs. And then at the end, starbursting out to go grab objectives. You know what I mean? Uh, playing the secondaries. Um, you know, I think the way, you know, and no one wants to go into them directly. So, you oh, know, well, each can, one of them can take out a, a small unit by itself anyways, though. That, that is nice because starbursting it out, you could literally grab vehicle, 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 kill a squad. I mean, they they all hit pretty hard and they all advance and charge and with the plus one to advance with the plume of the planes runner they're all you know threat range 13 inches give or take on a good roll and they're in your face um hey i do have a, a so the company vet in my round two game um ben ben i think malarch was his name he, he won the best sportsman the guy is a phenomenal uh guy really great great game but um the company vet ended up going after a chimera on round i think it was turn three so he, he was super sane at that point and literally destroyed a chimera with three wounds. I mean, just hit hit three times because I rolled a bunch of ones, wounded three times, AP four went through, and they're flat four each. So 12 damage, and the chimera blew up. I was um, just, in my head, I was like, it still blows up on three. That's so many. <laughs> it's like, holy crap. Yeah, but I mean, because chimeras are what, 12 wounds, right? Or 11? Right? Yeah, I think yeah. it's 12. Yeah, I think it's 12. Yeah. So I'm like, you know, with flat four damage, it's like three of those go through, it's done. So um, it, it's nice having characters that can do that. And then go and are like, I'm going to point and click, you know, and he's going to go kill this character or this monstrous creature or whatever. Um, oh, when you, when you split up, uh, once you get into Assault Doctrine, whew, all those guys' damage goes like through the roof, too. I just think that people underestimate the. The, basically the force multipliers that that plus one damage is it's crazy damage uh, for champion is like the most ridiculous thing well, i've ever seen well it's the thing is is that all i mean obviously everybody's used to you know oh the white scars you know they're vanguard vets lightning claws go to two damage and they do this much and it, it's so much more dangerous but like all of his smaller characters like that can all take out things that are typically above their head they're all punching up now, because of that plus one damage, you know, three goes to four, you know, two goes to three, blah, blah, blah. But you can start taking out things like chimeras that you typically weren't going to do in one fell swoop now. You know what I mean? With a lot of these characters, uh, they can beat up on things later, which is such a big deal that they're around, which is scary. Because even if you get, you know, the boots are being put to you, but the characters are, are all still alive, you're still a big threat. You still got like that that late round knockout power, basically, that you can flip a game on its side by your characters all individually taking out a big unit by itself. Yeah, and um, I mean, that that company vet also going into a Keeper of Secrets, you know, and just picking her up. I mean, it, it's it's amazing. Because uh, they had, I mean, <laughs> he re rerolls the, the wound. thematic thing ever, too. <laughs> it's awesome. Because <laughs> well, he has fight first, she has fight first, you know? It's like, well, hey, I'm charging. Guess what? <laughs> Surprise. So, uh, yeah. Got a bunch of primary specter. Yeah, yeah, do it. It, it was it was kind of funny i'm watching it happen and i'm like holy crap i can't believe this thing can do that so but you know what so i guess space marines have our one broken unit you know what i mean if you're going to call it that and i wouldn't call it broken I mean, for 70 points you know it's, it's good but 
Um, it's not like it's a succubus or something like that. Yeah. Well, well, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> exactly, Brad. That was for you, brother. <laughs> don't, don't talk about that. I need it. I need all that to stay for like another at least two months. <laughs> I got a new army being made. I, I want it to be good for at least the summer. <laughs> and you know that 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 was put in there just for those characters. For, for the succubus and things like that. Oh, That's it's huge with that fight first. Yeah. I actually yeah. think the fight first is is horribly underrated, tell you the truth. People are starting to see it now because there's so much more melee than there was before, you know, where people are just constantly... There's, there's more fights because there's more MSU, there's more armies that yep. are MSU, and there's going to continue to be because you've got sisters coming out after this. So you have to... Things like fight first become a big deal when you get multiple combats happening at the same time. Yeah, I, I was also planning on using, if I played a Death Guard pl- player, the Biologist Putrefire, if I get that right. That's the one that makes you fight last, right? Uh, the, right? the spawns, the fight last, the Putrefire is the one that does gives mortal wounds out. Okay, of there, isn't there a Death Guard character that makes you fight last or something like that? Yep, the, the Blight Spawn. The Blight Spawn. It. Yeah, so you know, I was thinking if I could slip this guy in there, because also he's on a 32 mil base. So, you know, he's, he's a, he's a Marine. So you just literally slide him right in there and he has a six inch heroic as well, uh, for what it's worth. But if he can go in there, you know, he can, at that point, yeah, he's fighting first, you know, the, you said the, what was it? The, the spawn, right. Makes me fight last or something like Blight that. Spawn. Yep. Light spawn counteracts. And then he could potentially one shot and kill that guy. Um, oh, he'll, he'll and take it away. <laughs> so, yeah, so he's kind of like an, an assassin for me to go in and, and kill a key character. If I can find a way in, he can do it. So I like that a lot. I actually like that addition. I've actually seen uh, a few armies that have snuck that in. Uh, one of the guys uh, in my local uh, Michigan uh, brings that and has, has had very good success with it also. He's just so good at just sniping out characters just because of that. 32 mil for sure. Uh, sneaking in by himself and all of a sudden just killing that key component that's giving whatever type of aura or whatever. So it's nice on that. Yeah. Like, Hey, you like that talent master? Watch this. So <laughs> yeah, it's, it's uh, it's pretty good, pretty good uh, character sniper. Like you said. So, and he's just a threat to, to big things, big writ large. So it's a nice addition to the list. Well, with what you, you basically learned from your mistake, you learned going into the future and you learned in that tournament, you immediately turned it around. What other tournaments do you have coming up that uh, you'd be crushing with the scars? Well, uh, I'm going to try. Um, so uh, there's a tournament down in Fredericksburg in uh, July that I'm going to try and uh, I'm on the wait list for. Uh, and then also your hobby place. Uh, um, actually, Richmond is the one I'm going to go to in July. Uh, and then there's another one in Fredericksburg that I think is going to happen in August. So looking at those two, uh, and then local events for now, um, that that's pretty much why, what I have on the horizon given, you know, work and family and all that stuff. But, um, I'll tell you what, if there's another uh, event of, of its kind, uh, up in Maryland at that, uh, you know, tables and towers place, I would, I would recommend going there. It's a phenomenal phenomenal place to game the terrain and it was a great environment so and he, yeah. he seems to have done a really good job Hats yeah, and anthony yeah. yeah anthony birdsong and that whole crew that that's phenomenal i mean that's awesome they, they literally opened up that that was like their opening was a hundred and some person tournament so yeah. <laughs> hey let's have a major Jeez, on opening, yeah. So. yeah they literally just went hey our store's open and here's a hundred person tournament yeah no yeah. big deal no big deal yeah well, thanks for joining us, Mike. It's been a fantastic episode. I'm glad you were able to come on and talk some white scars with us. Um, if you want to stick around, we're actually going to do a brief Q&A from our previous episodes. 
So we actually, if you recall, you can email me at Blake at the art of war 40 K.com. Any of your questions, concerns, comments, anything you got for us is bring it our way. We have an ep- a question this week from Nathan Sims over in Jonesboro, Arkansas, over in my neck of the woods. And he had a question actually regarding the episode three, when we talked about Justin's chaos list with the, um, with the Raptor there. So his question was uh, <laughs> the one that Brad, the one that Brad beat. Um, so the question is how pivotal do you think the fire Raptor is to Justin's overall list? And do you think there's anything else you could substitute in to fill the same role? And before we answer, I actually asked Justin, I messaged Justin. I said, Justin, what do you think the answer to this question is? And I'll just read it and then we can kind of dig into it. He said, it's definitely replaceable. It was actually the very last thing I added to the existing list. I don't recall if we talked about it on the recording, but previously I was using two, uh, oh my gosh, what PVCs. I know what that is, but a flavor crawler. Sorry, <laughs> I blanked for a second. To try to do the same thing. And he said, project threat to the board edge, kill objective holders, et cetera, plus like 70 extra points. And more, since you don't really need the Thousand Suns without the Raptor, a basic uh, detachment is fine for warp time at that point. So you end up with like 200 more points to spend. So what do you think, Brad? It's funny because like as much as as much shit as I took for the Raptor coming out, um, it's very, very dangerous because I do like some of the flyers in this meta just because of the fact that you're never safe from any of them because they can always get line of sight. They can fire from line of sight from a wing. So it does have play. It it is very, very expensive though. So it's hard to justify the total cost, but I do like it for what it does. I mean, it it will pick up a lot of rides, especially in a a dark Eldar dominated meta right now. So that's a, a coin flip on that. As much as they disparage, a lot of people disparage the old overpriced Raptor. It does what it's supposed to do in his army, and otherwise he would have to go to, uh, you know, like Relic Contemptors and stuff like that. Then I'll have to draw a line of sight uh, for, or just a different build, because you're talking about a completely different build if you take it out, because you basically take out 600 and 650 points of his army and restart it because you're doing a complete different detachment. Yeah, I think I think if you really, uh, Nathan, if you go back and if you haven't listened to episode three by this point, if you go back and listen to that discussion in part two also, I mean, he just dives into it. And I think it makes a lot of sense in his list because, you know, it's it's almost like that which he killed, the flyer might have pull him his own or you turn on Morty because the same stuff kills either, you know, in shooting at least. So I think that's, uh, I think it's a, it's, if you want to go that route, you kind of got to go all in on it. Um, he actually had a follow-up question to that too, which I think uh, Brad might be a good one for you, or even you, Mike, if you want to chime in. He says, "How do you guys feel about competitive lists relying on uh, relying hard on finding Forge World models? For instance, the Nightmaraxia, the Dimacarion, Contemptors, Custodes, etc." Oh, I'm so weird about this now. I used to hate Forge World with the passion of a thousand suns uh, when they were completely separate from the rest of the GW guys, but now that the rules are being written by all the same team, I'm on board with Forge World stuff. I was not before. When they were their own separate entity, I was not on board with them because we got a lot of skewed models. It was like you either... The Forge World piece was either unbelievably better than the others or it was terrible. Uh, now they're more in line with uh, a general uh, good or bad based on you know everything else in that category. And I think that honestly, like supply chain speaking right now, I think Ford World is actually a little bit easier to obtain than Games Workshop stuff, at least in my experience recently. And uh, and it's and they're nice models. And if you really think about it, a lot of those models are pretty expensive. So 
as far as price and points. So <laughs> I, I, it is funny that you say that because uh, everything's taking forever from them. So hopefully by the time we get into the later episodes, things will be better. I actually checked on my Bellicor that I ordered and it just said, yes, you ordered a Bellicor. Not a, not a date, not an anything, just a, yes, we took your money, deal with it. Well, I think uh, Nathan in particular, being from Jonesboro, you're about 30 minutes from the distribution center there in Memphis. So go raise some cane if they don't uh, get your models in time. But hey, thanks for the question. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. And uh, make sure to check out theartofwar40k.com. Check out our coaching services. You can hire Brad here to give you some insight, impart all of his old man wisdom to you. And as long as all of our other coaches, you know, you got Nick Nadavadi, you got John Lennon, you got Richard Siegler, you got a bunch of big hitters out there available for hire to help improve your game. Also, check out our YouTube channel, check out our other podcasts, The Art of War, The Art of War Down Under. They're putting out some great content these days. And as always, look up, look out for us on the Competitive 40K Network. Thanks for listening and join us next week for episode five. Like what you just listened to? Check out Art of War and the Art of War Down Under podcast on the Competitive 40K Network. The Art of War 40K.com.